When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to episode 41 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Hey, I hope your day is off to an amazing start, and I trust this conversation fuels you on your journey. If you're a regular listener, then you know we're in a series of conversations we're calling Profiles of Purpose in Business. In this series, I'm hosting conversations with leaders of what I call purpose-powered businesses. These are organizations and leaders that are in business on purpose, and they're tapping into the power of purpose for in and through their organizations. If this is the first time you've caught one of these episodes and you like what you hear, you can go back and pick up the others via your favorite podcast player, or we've made it easy for you. You can go to PurposeProfiles.com and get them all there. Today, we're joined by James Bocher of Fiasco Gelato in Canada. I'm excited to explore the ideas of building something that matters and being a not only for profit business with James. And if you've been listening, you know that I'm giving some of the backstory, the relationships that led to these conversations being possible, because I believe it's a connected world and relationships reveal riches. They lead us to riches. So I want to thank Bernadette Jiwa. Bernadette was my guest on episode 37, where we explored her new book, Story Driven, and James is featured as one of the case stories in Story Driven. So, Bernadette, thanks for connecting us and facilitating this awesome conversation. James is the CEO and Chief Idea Officer of Fiasco Gelato. So, let's jump right in and get to the conversation. Thanks for joining us, James. Thank you very much for having me. It's exciting. Well, James, what's something you'd like us to know about you that doesn't always make it into the formal introductions? Well, you kind of nailed it there by uh, giving away the, the fun job title. Uh, we like to have a lot of fun here at Fiasco, and uh, that's really it. I think too often people take uh, things too seriously. So, you know, coming from a background where we didn't have much, uh, being the uh, CEO of the company, didn't really sit right with me. So, uh, you know, life, uh, life's too short to take yourself seriously. So that's, uh, that's the one, Chief Idea Officer. All right. And before we started recording, you made it real clear that the chief idea officer, there's no requirement that the ideas must be good. <laughs> this is true. Uh, sometimes the team puts me on idea timeout, they call it. So I'll come up with maybe too many, too many uh, ideas and they, they remind me that we actually have a business to run sometimes. So, All right. Well, James, well, how do you describe your personal purpose? Yeah, for me, uh, it's kind of it's pretty simple here uh, with uh, with what we've got going on. Our mission statement uh, has sort of a, a nugget in the middle and it's enriching people's lives. And um, growing up, I always sort of found a way to, to make people smile, uh, whether it was something like shoveling my neighbor's walk or or just uh, a nice a, a nice smile or gesture to somebody. And I think that uh, that's really the big one for me is, is finding a way just every day to make somebody, make somebody feel better than they were before, uh, before they met you. Okay. Uh, and we're going to, well, we'll just jump there. The company Fiasco Gelato, what do you sell? 
Well, we sell gelato, um, but uh, once you kind of get into understanding our brand and and our our main purpose, uh, we actually sort of preface it similar to our friends at Zappos that uh, you know we're we're not a gelato company. Uh, to be honest, what we do every day is uh, try to have an impact on our community, and mm-hmm. and that extends to the people that work here and all their families and. Really, that's the genesis for the decision making we have here. Um, we keep the lights on and, and allow ourselves to continue to tomorrow by uh, crafting uh, a delicious product, which is, uh, you know, uh, the leader here in Canada. And it's a very innovative brand. And sort of, sort of that's that's the, the genesis of it all. But really, we're here to, to build something that matters. Well, I love that. And and. I love that phrase, build something that matters. Where did that, what's the genesis of that for you? Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's been a lot of uh, amazing brands as I've been growing up that uh, have always sort of inspired me to, to think twice about the direction we take. And, uh, you know, Richard Branson is kind of the guy that comes to mind most often. If you look at his uh, screw business as usual philosophy, um, you know, he's always said, why, why can't we do the things that we want to do? And, and uh, Howard Schultz with Starbucks is another big one for me. And so when I start thinking about, you know, how entrepreneurs and, and, uh, and companies um, create a legacy that's sort of bigger than themselves, uh, I love the saying, uh, the goal is not to live forever. It's to build something that does. Yeah. Um, that's a big one for me. So when I think about that, uh, that's really the genesis of uh, building something that matters. Hmm. Okay, so and I love that. Build something that matters. That that's just a, a great phrase. So thank you. Congratulations for landing on that one. <laughs> uh, so as I've learned of your journey, you've had some interesting moments, some defining moments. Um do, would you want to share a couple of those? Yeah, Kev. Uh as you acknowledged there uh in the beginning uh with the acknowledgement of of Bernadette, she was someone that sort of challenged me to share a little bit more about why I am who I am and what sort of set up fiasco for, for the journey and the ability to overcome some, some adversity and thinking back to, to my childhood, you know, my, my parents got separated when I was two and, and, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. So we, um, we were in and out of low income housing and, um, you know, when you're in that setting, you don't really realize what's going on. It's not like I understood the circumstance. Um, but as, uh, as a child, I realized that, you know, putting food on the table was a challenge. And, um, you know, I remember these fond moments of, uh, of taking the shovel from the front walkway and going and asking the neighbor what they paid the other kid that was shoveling the walks to, to do it. So, um, you know, uh, making a few bucks here and there to help my dad, uh, you know, put food on the table and keep the lights on were sort of definitive. Another big one was, um, when I was 15, uh, there was, uh, you know, where we were a bit challenged. I had started my first job when I was 14. Um, but there were some moments where, uh, you know, there wasn't enough money to, to, to not get an eviction noticed. And as these things were occurring, I realized that, you know, in my, my teens, as I was trying to graduate, uh, high school and, and get an education, um, that it would be tough for, for someone to do so. So I made a decision when I was 15 to move out of my my dad's house and I ended up renting my aunt and uncle's basement. And again, I don't know that at the time I really realized what I was doing or what it would mean to my life. Um, but those are sort of some fundamental moments that I believe became the genesis of, you know, taking over this business in 2008, 2009. And even, you know, the 
we call it the first fire because unfortunately there's more than one, but that one for me uh, in 2009, two days before we'd opened, before I'd ever made a cent in the business, uh, getting a call from the fire department that uh, the store had burned down was, um, was, was pretty tragic. Well, let's pause there a moment. And James, first off, I want to thank you for just the the vulnerability in sharing this. Uh, as we were talking before, this isn't something you've shared a lot. You shared it with Bernadette. And then all of a sudden, you know, it is more broad. But thanks for sharing this. Yeah. You know, I think for that, that people um, take a moment to to reflect on on some of the reasons that they are who they are and and I don't think at any moment, uh, for any reason, I'm sharing it more than hope, hope, hoping to inspire somebody else that might be going through similar challenges or, or have had them in the past. Well, I will make a draw for or draw connect some dots for you listening. If you've not heard the interview with Bernadette, it's really a powerful interview to go back and then even her book, Story Driven, because she talks about the the connection between who we are and what we do in business, and, and so your journey reflects and it, it manifests in how you lead Biasco at this point and the other businesses you're involved in. So what I want to invite you to do for a moment before we get into the fire at Fiasco is tell us you didn't, you're not the founder. Of yes. Fiasco. So how did that come about and how did you come in to bind the company? And, and then, you know, kind of like what you just said before you ever made a dime, the, the business had burned to the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, you never, I, I love the saying again, you may hear me say about 10, I love the saying, but one of them for me is you create your own luck. And uh, at a young age, I, again, I was realizing that I had to provide for myself in, in some way, shape or form. And I always sort of said, you know, I'll do something on the side of whatever I'm doing. So I was in high school and I had started doing some graphic design and, and small brand strategy for some local businesses. You know, I just kind of through a friend of a friend would make a connection and tell them I could help them build their brands. And, and fiasco was one of them, a good friend of mine, uh, whose name was Mike, uh, had a brother that had just moved here from Winnipeg and Winnipeg it's, you know, the great white North, but there was gelato companies there. And so his practicum for uh, the school of business was to create a business. And he made this company called fiasco gelato. So as he was realizing that this could actually be a viable business, not just a school project, uh, he needed some assistance on kind of what that would look like. So in 2003, 2004, as he was getting going, uh, he gave me the the tap on the shoulder to come do some part-time work and with the website and different little things. And over the, you know, the next five years as he was, you know, really doing something with this brand at a store level, I always had these ideas of how it could, you know, one day end up in, uh, in cafes, other cafes and grocery stores, and, you know, ultimately find its way into people's hearts and into their homes. And so for me, when I look at not being the founder, it's, it's interesting because I don't know that, I don't know that it's necessary for someone to care for a business that, that, you know, it's their, child like it's their their idea um i think what's imperative and and often this gets talked about you know when you use the word founder is um i would say that the the people that work for me are are also founders because they're coming up with with ideas and and uh new ways of doing things and even though again they didn't invent this company you know they're they're putting their stake in the ground saying this is important for the future of this business and um 
Yeah, going back, I had no idea what I was signing up for. I did a handshake deal with uh, Matt, the the founder of Fiasco, for uh, me to take over the company, and I would repay him uh, what we agreed upon within three years. I only had eighteen hundred bucks in my bank account. Uh, ironically, I was running a clothing line right before with my best friend, and uh, fortunately, he decided to empty the the, the account and say goodbye. Mm. But um, you know, it was not, not shortly after Matt had asked me what I was up to and what was the next phase. And I said, I didn't know. And so when we joked about me taking over this business, I told him I, you know, had no, no money, but uh, we found a way to yes. And uh, ultimately, I think when I look at that first fire, we had spent three months renoing the store and I borrowed $5,000 from a friend as well as my aunt. And, uh, you know, them getting the notice that before I'd ever opened the doors that this thing was uh, in flames, um, probably gave me a little persistence to say, what if we rebuild this, uh, you know, then maybe I actually have a shot of, of simply just repaying those two people. Mm. Now, is it true? I thought I read somewhere that Matt actually offered you the opportunity to get out. Yeah. So, (laughs) so the fire happened on June 19th, 2009, and we both arrived there, uh, to see the damage, um, and the fire restoration company said it'd be about six months to rebuild, which, uh, again, in Calgary, Canada, uh, that put us into October, November, where the snow starts to fly. So the gelato shop probably wouldn't be doing so hot at that point. And he said, you know what, um, you know, the lease is still in my name. The insurance is still in my name. Uh, you know, if you want to say goodbye, we'll probably just wind it down now. And I don't know why, but I just said, I, I got nothing else to do. Why not? <laughs> see if we can make a go of this so uh yeah that uh literally i had not made one penny we had not even opened the doors and uh and this occurred so wow that that's just a phenomenal story uh it it is it's just amazing so thanks for sharing that um you said something in there that I've heard or read a couple of other places that I want to ask but find a way to yes yeah what does it mean for you James Oh man, it's, uh, it's in the DNA of, of myself and the organization. Um, I, uh, I read somewhere recently, someone was talking about problem finders. So there's, uh, you know, there's a good group of people and I'm sure a few listeners right now that, um, you know, they're, I would, I would even say they're, they're professional skeptics, but they, they always seem to find a way why you cannot do something. And uh, yes, yes. I often challenge the team um, because I'm the optimist and many of them are the realists. When they say we, you know, we can't do something, I ask them to tell me three ways that we could. Mm. And so often it comes back to resource or finances or, or simple things. You know, it's not like uh, we're trying to put a car with an astronaut in space. Um, you know, we're, we're just trying to, <laughs> trying to make a lot of and build a great company. And uh so that's that's a big one for me is if if you're committed to it and it means enough to you, uh, you will always find a way to yes. I love that. Love that. And I love the optimism as well. OK, back to the mission statement you shared earlier, enriching people's lives. Well, what does that mean and how does that permeate the work of at work of and work at uh, Fiasco? Yeah, there's there's a couple uh, easy ways to provide context to this. So we have a, a sandwich board in the A-frame out front of the store uh, here. We've got what's called uh, Fiasco's Gelato Factory and Coffee Bar. And we kind of dub it Willy Wonka meets Google. And so the sandwich board that's out front says, 
um, change the world, start with coffee kind of thing on the front of it. And so this is this amazing sign out front, but sometimes when the wind gusts up and knocks the sign over. And it's fascinating to me to watch our team as they walk through the front door, if this happens, because not one of them walks by without standing it up. And when you're mm. in downtown or you're at the airport and somebody knocks a sign over or drops their luggage or something, very rarely are people willing to just just do something simple like that to enrich somebody's life. So when I look at how that those simple gestures permeate into our organization, it's it's again you kind of cut kind of got to be a part of it or exposed to it to understand. But the team rarely lets someone else suffer or fail. So it's, it's an amazing uh, system. People are rarely asked to stay late if the work's not done. They just do it because they know if they don't do the work, someone still has to. And they know that that's one of their fellow uh, humans that works here that they don't want to leave, you know, stranded or working late if they could contribute. And we look at simple things we do in the organization, like uh, the one I get asked the most about, which makes me laugh is, you know, for a company of 53, we serve a hot lunch to the team every day. And again, the Willy Wonka meets Google inspiration. Um, you know, we were playing, we're playing a big leagues culture with uh, a tiny company, but the, the question's like, well, how do you do it? And I said, well, we buy groceries and then we make lunch and then we eat the lunch. And it always makes people laugh because it's such a simple gesture. But if you look at it, 53 people every single day of the week do not have to worry about mm. lunch. They don't have to worry about being nourished. They don't have to worry about what they're going to pack. They don't have to worry about being late because they're packing their lunch and they don't have to worry about at lunch where they're going to go or if they have enough cash in their pocket to do so or what that looks like. And it's something that's so simple, but again, these are the little touches of, of enriching people's lives. And I think that translates so often into how we treat our, our fans. Uh, we don't use the word customers ever. It's, you know, it's our fans and our partners uh, on the business side so that, you know, a, a driver will come pick up uh, some products and we'll hand him a scoop of gelato. And I'm sure not every, every spot he goes to, he gets a treat like that. So it's, it's always the small things that really become the big things. Oh, and I love that. I love that. Uh, all the little things matter. You know, there, there was a, a few years back, I was in a, a session with a, a group of clients uh, and at the end, there was something that happened and, and and it blew me away. And what it reiterated was little things matter most. And you never know what little thing is going to matter most to whom when. I agree. Uh, so talk about this. What, what are some of the other little things? Because th this whole idea of lunch, I mean, that's not necessarily a little thing, James. That, that becomes a, a big thing. But yeah, just talk about little things mattering. Yeah, you know, I um, I get asked quite a bit uh, to 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 meet people and share sort of where we're coming from and and how we got there. And so generally, if if someone's one removed or, or a business I believe in, I'll sit down and and I'll ask them to tell me about the little things. So they'll they'll start with this grandiose vision of what they're trying to accomplish, and I'll start digging in deeper. So if anybody, any listeners have uh, a, a company or work for a company where they have an office. My first question always is like, well, who does the coffee? And so I mean, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, who's the coffee provider? And, you know, lots of companies will have great coffee, but there's too many companies that'll say, oh, well, we don't really drink the coffee. 
And I'm like, it's caught co- like coffee is like a requirement. <laughs> like this is more important than light bulbs. Like, like this is the real deal. And so when I start to lean in on these, these uh, people asking for my advice, I'm like, if you serve bad coffee in your office, you do not care about your staff. Mm. And they're like, Oh, I think you're taking it too far. And I said, no, I promise you, if you would not serve that coffee to your family or the people that matter most to you, you should not serve that to your staff. And that translates into um, some other fun stuff that we do and a lot of community work, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll donate a lot of product to uh, the drop-in center here for some homeless people as well as the food bank. And I always tell the team like, the product should never be bad when we donate it. It should be great product. We're only donating it because we have a surplus of it or there's some sort of minor packaging defect or something that's like that. It's not that it was not edible and we wouldn't eat it. Yeah. And uh, we do a thing called Breakfast Club where we feed a low-income school uh, a hot breakfast every Wednesday. Um, And same thing, the ingredients for that are like, you know, we're using quality ingredients and, and, uh, and making this breakfast for these kids. And again, I, when growing up as a kid, this is the, I'm just kind of thinking of this, Kev, it's like when we used to get those hampers from the food bank, my dad and I, I can't tell you how many times there was the, the things in people's cupboards that they would not eat. So they donated them. So like white beans and I'm like a six year old kid and all I want is pizza pops. And it's, it's those things that are the difference makers. So, you know, when we, donate or I even donate in my personal life. It's like, put the food in that hamper that you would eat and don't donate the food you wouldn't eat. And that maybe comes back to why the coffee is great at Fiasco. Mm, that's amazing, James. I, I'm, I'm loving that. We're, we'll be sharing that as a quotable. I, I'm telling you, if the coffee is <laughs> red, you don't care for your people. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's so, there's so many little things that the quality of the pens, like little, just such simple things. We have beer taps in the office and my aunt once asked me, well, what do you do if somebody has a beer at work? I said, well, they might be having a great day. And then she said, well, what if they have too many beers? I said, well, call them a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> like why, 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 why do we have to think that way? You know, like, like all of a sudden when, when business starts, everyone starts acting like they wouldn't act in their normal lives. Right. So, James, I'll go back and I'll tell you the story. I mean, here's what happened. We had done this workshop for a group from Latin America, yeah, uh, a, a whole half day on leadership, talking about servant leadership. And at the end of the session, a guy came up. He said, may I tell you what matter? It impacted me most. You know, and all of a sudden my ego is kind of rising up. I think, well, what was the amazing thing I said or what, you know, what was the exercise? He said it was the way you shook my hand and looked me in the eye when I walked. Oh, I love it. I love it. And he said, I don't do for that, do that for my people, but I am now. And I look at that and I'm go, you know what? You know where I learned that? My mom and dad, you know, at yes. home taught me, yes. you look people in the eye. When an adult walks in the door, you look them in the eye and you give them a firm shake. So it's these little things yeah. that just really matter. So I, I love I love that when I read it. I love the stories you've shared. Yeah, those old school values often get overlooked. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. My grandparents and and my father, you know, taught me taught me some pretty important things that now, uh, you know, you say hi to people when when they look at you, and people wonder why that's so difficult. And I said, well, that would just be weird if I didn't. I yes. walk through, I, I walk through the the whole building and say hi to everyone when I get here every morning, and uh, you know, it takes me. I would I, like it's laughable. It might take me three minutes of my day, but I'm sure just as you shared, if you asked, ask the team here, 
those are the moments that matter the most to them. How, you know, how was your weekend? How was your evening? Yeah. I mean, it just does something. And so I want to talk about culture a moment, but this, this creates the culture. And, and like you said, you know, I love this is Willy Wonka meets Google. Um, Another conversation we had with a company in this series that was talking about the amazing culture they have, and they don't have the the ping pong tables or the foosball tables or any of this. You don't have to have those accoutrements. It's really caring for people. Yes, I agree. So, um, well, first off, what's something specific Fiasco does differently because of your commitment to purpose? Is there something in hiring or, or the way, well, you've already said some of it. I mean, providing yeah. lunch, that's one. Uh, letting people choose when to work or when to stay. Say more yeah. about that. Yeah, I would say uh, the, the list is long and sometimes I forget that it is so long until I get to reflect on, we'll call them normal companies. Yeah. Um, I would say the one I'm most proud of is what we call sort of our gotta go policy. Huh. And uh, you laugh when you're a kid because if you got to go, you got to go. But uh, <laughs> for us, it's um, life is very unpredictable. And too many employers ask that their staff leave their personal lives at the door. And I actually invite them to bring it in because if I can play a role in helping them uh, weather those storms, I know that those people will uh, forever care about my business just yeah. as I then care about their families. And so the got to go policy uh, for us is if something comes up, like you're free to go uh, on a dime, like um, someone just had a a family emergency with the death in the family and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, work, work seems quite insignificant in those moments. And there's enough of us. um, Again, there's another proverb that's, that's, um, you know, the, 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 the weight is light if we all carry the load. And so when those moments happen, we all just sort of, collectively take on whatever responsibilities or work needed to get done by that person. So that one for me is uh, something I, I rarely see in organizations where something traumatic has come up or, or some illness or something uh, in, in the family and people don't uh, they're afraid to share it because they, they don't want um, to be perceived the wrong way. And, and we just went through, through some labor law changes here in, in Alberta, which I think is good for, for the median employer. But, you know, if somebody has a bereavement or, or domestic violence or things that, you know, are at the core of us caring about our, our people, um, there are, these people are now allowed to take one or two days uh, unpaid. And I always think about the unpaid part too, because Though that's often a massive barrier for people to do the things they need to do with their lives. So for us, the pay is not why, like I don't pay people for the time they occupy the building. I pay them over a period of time for the results they produce. Mm. So in those moments when things come up or even on the good side, they want to go on an adventure and go travel Europe for six weeks. We just had a girl doing that uh, and another guy that was in Australia for a month. Like we, we focus and say, okay, well, I'm not paying them to occupy the space. I'm paying them for the result and have they produced the results? And the answer is always yes. And do we want them to worry about their finances while they're away? And the answer is no. Mm. And I just pay people when they're not here because that's to me, again, a testament to the longevity of creating a environment where people don't leave the organization because they, you know, they wanted to take a trip and the employee handbook says anything over two weeks, you have to like resign or whatever kind of 
bull crap is, is in the universe these days. Uh, so that, that to me is like a, a big one. And I don't know if it's going to shoot me in the foot one day or if it's the worst idea I had, but <laughs> we'll, we'll find <laughs> Well, uh, uh, reviewing your website, I read this, yeah. that you have committable core values. Now, what's the distinction of committable? And then talk about one of those values that really matters to you. Yeah. Um, the committable part, uh, again, some, some inspo from our friends at Zappos and Tony Shea, um, core values in any organization, um, effectively someone had come in at some point and said, you have to hang something on the wall. So people feel yeah. that they have some purpose. And I never bought into that. Like you, you can, you can walk down the street and ask the person, uh, the organization they work for, um, and they might've worked there for 25 years and they still have no clue what any of the core values are. And that's such a tragedy because really the core values should be a, a guiding uh, star on decision-making. And so the reason they became committed committable is we brought together the team at the time. So this was about three years ago and we did a core value review. So there used to be six, uh, and, they were formulated by me uh, consulting the team, but we took it to the next level and, and the team at the time all sort of put their hands in the middle and I actually came across a document where we wrote how we felt about each of them. And uh, the thing that resonated the most for me about our committable core values is that they, they now have taken a meaning of, if I'm not sure what decision to make, mm. I can literally look to these and they will tell me the answer. And that goes so much further than just simply core values, because then you get to this point where the team now understands they have committed to these in their decision making. And then every year what we do is we have uh, our core value awards. So we actually hand a trophy for each of the eight core values to someone with their name on it for them being exemplary in that. We also have a ninth trophy, which is a core value I love um but the team decided it was a bit too drastic or culty for the team at the time and it the, the message is we do whatever it takes mm. um, so that's the gold trophy um and we also have a spirit of fiasco trophy but going back to the core values again it's there's like there's all these things fascinating things that are happening with businesses right now social good is is very trendy uh culture is a is a buzzword um you've got all these things occurring and when people ask me you know what do the core values mean and what does culture mean i literally just tell them it is the dna of your organization it is what the organization does yes, when no yes. one is looking when no one is around it is in the blood of it and really at any moment you're unsure you can literally turn to it and it will give you the answer yeah, I love the way that you described the core values as being the the resource, the tool to how to make a decision. Yes. If you're not sure what to do, well, don't make it up. Just consult the values and, and you'll find the answer. Yes. That, that's a premise I call navigating north. You just, you know what to do. Yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned a couple of things there. I, I want to go to this one. You're a B Corp. Yeah. You talked about social responsibility and how trendy that is. What prompted you to become a B Corp? Uh, I, I actually, Kevin, I have to share with you, these questions are, are um, so rewarding for me because they make me like warm and fuzzy inside because there are all these questions that literally I could tell you were, were just automatic decisions based on the things we're talking about. Right. I, 
you know, how we were going through our strides and really challenging ourselves to be accountable to uh, our people and the community we serve. Um, so when it comes to B Corp, it's uh, it's a fun a fun one. We've been in B Corp now for about three and a half years, and uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Yvonne Schwenard's book, "Let My People Go Surfing." And so what I talked about earlier there about letting people, you know get paid for uh, the results, but allow them to enjoy their lives so they want to remain with your organization. Um, that was a big one. And that was my first discovery of, of B Corp certification was Patagonia. And I started to read up on it and understand a bit more. And I was like, holy, this is exactly how our business behaves. Like there is, there is a certification for this, which was like, it blew my mind. So then... Uh, so you were already doing the B Corp stuff is what you're saying. Yeah, we were living the values. It was who we were. And, and then it's, it's like, okay, well, you can get certified. The, the, the tricky part or the part that not a lot of people know when they're looking inwardly at B Corps is it is a nine month process. You go through and they tear your entire business down, down to the foundation about who you are and what you do and who's involved and how you're governed and what you're really about. So you can't fake it. Right. Which is very powerful for something that is this important. So we went through this process. We get our first uh, B Corp uh, thumbs up uh, and we scored 86. So you have to get 80. Most businesses exist by default at about 50 and it scored out of uh -huh. 200. So you got to get 80 to be a B Corp. We're at 86. We're very proud and uh, I'll tell you this, Kev, we just did our research and we actually got audited by B Corp, which generally you don't want an auditor like uh, the, the revenue agency coming in IRS or CRA. Um, but with B Corp, it really meant that whatever the score was, was authored by them. And we just came in at 111. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, Congratulations. So thank you. Yeah. It, it puts us just uh, right on the cusp of what they call best of the world honorees. Um, it put us, uh, you'll laugh, one point above Ben and Jerry's who, who they're a founding B Corp. And uh, we're obviously big fans of what those, those two gentlemen built. And uh, yeah, so it's a, uh, it's a big celebration. So we're actually doing a bit of a party here on my birthday on May 17th for it. So yeah. That's just great, James. And I love this. I, I love the journey that, that it was just, you found a way that was congruent with how you were already leading. It's not like you had to jump through a bunch of hurdles. There was just this way to certify it and to formalize the commitment. Yeah. And better understand how to, how to move the needle. So that's what um, my advice to businesses when they ask me about it is whether you're certified or not, or you meet the 80 criteria, it's going to teach you a lot of things about how to constantly improve the way that you operate your business. And you get to choose, you can decide whether you do or don't conform to some of these things, but this is a very altruistic, important way of analyzing the company and what you do every day to say, yes, we, you know, we will leave the world better than we found it. Hmm. Okay. So I hear there's this fiasco culture book. You can't buy it on Amazon. Correct. You can't buy it in any bookstore. Tell us about the Fiasco Culture Book. <laughs> well, uh, I spent the last two and a half years here with uh, the team um, and some some people that played a very important hand in, in getting this um, done. The reason it took that long is 
I, with something as important as this, um, so much refinement was occurring because every time we'd write a page, I'd look back and I say, I would say, is this the best version of us? So similar to the B Corp stuff, it kept challenging me to say, we can do this better. And that's where, again, the got to go policy, we, you know, we needed to articulate it because it was a thing, but no one really understood. So if you're coming into the organization and I hand you this, this fiasco culture book, do you understand that when life hands you lemons that you've got someone that's got your back? So Mm -hmm. we're going through this process. And finally, I got the nudge. I was speaking at an event called The Gathering, where we are an emerging brand uh, for 2018. And I said, we got to publish this because this is this is so important. So we pushed hard, got it across the finish line, and I showed up to this event and did this great keynote and and uh, made a lot of people laugh for a bit and then cry for a bit and then laugh again. But I said I was going to, as my gift back to them for being a part of it, uh, we were going to put 50 copies in that bookstore um, there that they had built. And there were some of uh, Bernadette's books and, and um, some of the other speakers uh, from different organizations like Gatorade and, and uh, Beats by Dre. And so this book goes in there after I speak and there's only 50 copies. There's about 1200 people at this event and it sells out in eight minutes. Uh, Brene Brown was the keynote. Uh, I think she beat me by three books. She sold 53, but, <laughs> um, but it wow. was, uh, it was one of those moments where I, I, I literally said, this is it. And so many people came up to me. They're like, Oh, I miss getting a copy. I'll send you an email to get one. I said, no, you don't understand. Like you literally have to be a part of the organization to get this. Uh, or you got one of those 50 that had been there. And, um, and so this is, this is really the, the gist of it is that the book is so powerful that I want it to be shared, but it, it's, it's got to be done in a, a meaningful way, not just something you can buy. Wow. Uh, knowledge in a way that, that doesn't really allow people uh, to, to get the full understanding. And I have to laugh because I got a book here like a month ago from Seth Godin called Walking on the Moon. And it's the same deal. You cannot get it unless you're a part of his MBA or his uh, marketing seminar. And what a book. Like I, I, I'm, I don't know if I've highlighted a book more than that one. So, Wow. Well, that's what I was about to ask. Is there something you've read recently that you'd want to recommend? And that's Walking on the Moon? Yeah, Seth Godin, a big fan. Uh, I always joke that Bernadette's like the female Seth Godin. But uh, (laughs) so that was uh, that's been a great read. Um, Another important one uh, to me and and how I built this company is Work Rules uh, by Laszlo Bach. He was the chief people officer at at, uh, Google. Powerful is another one by Patty McCord at Netflix. Um, Under New Management by David Burkus. And uh, and then, of course, Bernadette's new book, uh, Story Driven, which, um, you know, I can't tell you, I could not put it into words how humbling and grateful I am to be a part of that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, James, is there something that, that you've discovered in the last three months that you wish you'd known three years earlier? Um, I would say that that's kind of a tough question. I joke often if I knew then what I know now. Um, I'm pushing, this is very contextual. I I actually wrote a a blog post about it here two nights ago. Um, I'm pushing for a concept of salary transparency that is very uncomfortable for the people that are a part of this team. And they Mm -hmm. trust in me, you know, I could lead them off a cliff if I wanted to, 
Uh, so there's no, no shortage of trust and buy-in, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do things that are disruptive to decades of conditioning. So the world grows up uh, with two things. They, they teach you to avoid conflict. Uh, and it also teaches us to money is very private. You don't talk about your income. You don't talk about how to get to the next level. It's, there's a lot of secrecy. And I realized I had this level of irony. And when I realize these things in, in any part of what we do, I, I challenge us to say, well, why are we contradicting ourselves? So I table the PL and the balance sheet for the team every single day. Uh, they, they can review the finances in the organization. We give constant updates and tons of transparency to the finances of the company. Um, my leadership team and I get together and we look at, because um, we never tie compensation reviews to performance reviews. I think it's, it's not the right way to do things because people are often trying to game the system at those moments. Um, so we are talking about a compensation uh, review for the entire team and we kind of went through the list and everyone sort of had new notes on their, we call our departments pods, but on their pods. And then we got to this point where I, I asked the leadership, you know, okay, well, now where are you guys at? And there was this moment where they realized they were talking about everyone else and with full transparency and really articulated things well. And then when it got to them, it got very uncomfortable. And so the last four to six weeks have been just leaning in on these guys to say, can we get to a point where we could literally hang everyone's compensation on the wall so everyone understands that there is no pay inequality, gender, race, position, all those things. Uh, it always comes back to results. And then if somebody wants to be an achiever in the organization, they understand what that looks like. Wow. So wow. if I knew three months ago, uh, what I know now that this would be as hard as it is, I might not have done it right now is my answer, but that's, that's the beauty. I, um, I, we did a video in 2013 and I said, I love that we were so ignorant to failure as we were building this. And I cannot tell you how many times throughout my journey, I am so glad I did not know. So mm. It's kind of flipping that on its head of saying the moments when you wish you knew what you knew then, well, yeah. there's just as many where you are glad you did not know. I agree with you, James, because if a lot of us knew what was coming, we wouldn't take the step out. Agreed. So. Uh, James, is there something you'd like to share or say before we conclude this conversation that makes it whole for you? Um, I, I think the the biggest one for me is uh, as we venture here, you know, we're we're just a bit into 2018, and there's some amazing things happening for for myself and, and Fiasco. Is don't be afraid to just take a moment and and be grateful for for what's happening. You know, win, lose, or draw. I look back at all those moments, uh, you know, we didn't even get a get get to touch on the second fire in 2015 that effectively put us out of business. And we had to sort of restart, um, you know, a, a two or three million dollar company at that moment. But um, you got to I, I do this more often than I ever have is just take a moment. And I literally say I say to my fiance, Mandy, um, we're so lucky because there's there's so many things happening in the world. And I think that unless we can just stop for a moment and realize that our trials and tribulations are actually very small compared to others, yeah. you know, we're, we're not, we're not living life the way we should. And I think, I think that's a big one. Like just enjoy the ride. It's, it's special. And we only, we only got one and life's too short. And so let's enjoy it. Wow. 
Well, thank you, James. You mentioned a moment ago you blog. For folks that want more information about Fiasco or to follow the blog, where, where do you where do you point? Them? Yeah, the blog's a little uh, undercover, but um, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, just uh, at James Boucher, um, you can catch uh, catch it on there. When I put a post up, sometimes there'll be an alert. Um, but yeah, Fiasco Gelato on on uh, Instagram as well as uh, Twitter or Facebook is just uh, at Fiasco Gelato. Um, and then, yeah, hit the website, fiascogelato.ca. There's tons on our culture and um, lots of little Easter eggs and takeaways for people looking to building uh, a purposeful business. All right, James, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. You, thank you very much, Kevin. Thanks for joining us, James. Hey, I'm wondering what caught your attention from this conversation. Here are a couple of things that, that I'm still chewing on. I love the notion that in some way, we're all founders, what James said. Everyone at Fiasco is taking ownership for something, and in that way, everyone shares into being a founder. What would that look like in your organization? I also enjoyed the conversation about little things. For so many of us, we have a tendency to focus on the really big things. And by doing so, we miss out on so many little opportunities to connect and enrich the people around us. What little thing would make a big difference in your business leadership or life? Ponder that. And then how about that penchant James has for finding a way to say yes? Perhaps like me, you've been too quick to accept no as the answer to something that's important. What might be possible if you brainstormed three ways we could say yes or three ways we could do that rather than just immediately accepting the no? Hey, I'd love to know what idea is lingering in your mind or what idea you would like to see us do a deeper dive into here on the podcast. You can email me and let me know. That's Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. Hey, until our paths cross again, I encourage you to navigate north in business, leadership, and life. If you want to take the leap from being inspired by purpose to being powered by purpose, then you should download the Purpose Manifesto. The Manifesto is a call to action, a challenge to live and work in alignment with your purpose and see the results you know are possible. Get it at kevindmonroe.com slash manifesto.